episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am doing splendidly. How are you? I'm doing different than splendid, but I'm all right. All right. Well, all right is good. Yeah. All right is good. Well, speaking of all right, let me ask you a question, Jody. What's so special about the SSL 4000E? You stumped me. I did stump you. <laughs> I didn't think that's the first time I've done that. Because that's what we're talking about today. Yes, What's so it special is. about the four? It's one of those consoles that from its inception is still alive and kicking today. And, and they still um, make them. They still make them. They... Well, they don't make the 4,000. No, anymore, they don't, but, but they but still they make SSLs. a plug-in for them. Yeah. Why is that? Well, we're going to see if we can shed some light on that. Get yeah. ready for it. Here it comes. What is it? What's the history here? Give us a rundown. SSL was founded by a gentleman called Colin Sanders. Is that the guy that started KFC? Yeah, this is before he it was colonel. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll show myself out. That was horrible. <laughs> SSL was founded in or came out with consoles in the 70s, mid-70s, but with How's a big that break. How's being old? Jeez. But the big break kind of came with a 4000E, and it came out in 1979. So- Flush in the 80s, man. Exactly. And it certainly had a big impact on the 80s for a couple of reasons. For obviously, really good sounding console. It was also the first console, at least to my knowledge- that you could do instant recall on all the settings. And it, because it had a computer built into it, right? They can do this. And in other words, it was like a self contained DAW without a computer. <laughs> yeah, imagine that before DAWs. Right? <laughs> but you could actually take, so th this was obviously revolutionary. Instead of having to write down every parameter how it was set, that you could store that on a floppy disk. Mm hmm. That you could then, if you went to a different studio that had the same console, you could recall the mix right there. So that was obviously revolutionary at, at this point. Now we think, well, why does that not happen? Well, this is technology, folks, right? SSL, um, kicking it off. Recall. Yeah, right. A little useless trivia here as well. The, the first record that was mixed using this technology, not the SSL, but with, with the computerized functionality was... ABC's The Look of Love. Do you know what? I, did, as you just said that, it just mm -hmm. dawned on me. The first album, ABC, yeah. the band, ABC. Right. That's the first letter of the alphabet, too. Oh, you're so perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but that was the first one produced by Trevor Horn. Other things... We could talk about the SSL, obviously the now famous bus compressor that mm -hmm. was in that, right? Everything sounds better through an SSL bus compressor, as we like to say. The talkback functionality, right? It has this heavily compressed talkback functionality, which we all know led to what, Jody? Phil Collins and his enormous drum sound. Ding, in the ding, air, ding. baby, in the air is like the most famous version of that particular talkback compressed drum sound. Right. The talkback mic was heavily compressed, built into the console, and it was a producer by the name of Hugh Padgham that was responsible for a lot of the 80s drum sounds. But he was the one that made the, that signal recordable, so you could capture that back into to the console. So Way to go, Hugh. Uh, 
Way to go. Way to go. Quick backstory, but maybe we should go into now, obviously, the components. We're dealing with just channel strips here, and we're focusing on virtually the same type of stuff that's available in the plugins today. Obviously, with plugins, we can have a lot more bells and whistles, but the layout of the, the channel strip sure. and what we can do. So, should I just do a little, like real quick like overview map of it, and then we'll just dive into each one, or should we go one by one? I think let's do a quick rundown of it, and then we'll we'll add a little bit of meat to the to those sections. Okay, I th- as I think. it goes with my understanding, the signal flow of an SSL, mm-hmm. the four thousand series, right. you've got your input, which goes into the preamp. From there, it goes into the dynamic section, which can be switched in and out. From there, it goes into the EQ section, which can also be switched in and out and has a couple of other functions that we'll get into a little further. And then it goes from the EQ section into the filter section, from the filter section to the fader, and from the fader, it goes out to your ears. That's the general overview of the signal flow. Right. Now, we can modify that stuff, but we'll get into that in a moment. Right. Maybe we should start breaking these down now a little bit. Let's start with the dynamic section. Okay. Because that's... That's two things. Isn't you don't want to start have... with the input, huh? <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Yeah. So now I think we go with the dynamic sections because that—that's two things, really. Yeah, right? it we is. Have, we have the compressor, and then we have the gate or expander. Right. right. Maybe we start with the compressor. What's so special about the compressor here on the four thousand E? Well. It can be very transparent. It can also be hyper aggressive, but this is heavily dependent upon the settings that you use. Almost like any other compressor. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it doesn't change. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the one thing that I think is cool with this though, is if we check out, let's say your, your favorite plugin or whatever for a, an SSL style channel strip here is that there's no makeup gain button. It's automatic makeup gain into it. So Correct. you don't have to necessarily level match things. You get you get the compressed sound and that's what it is. That's kind of cool. It's almost one of those, I'm looking for another phrase, but I'm thinking like instant gratification type of thing. You hear it and immediately and that's what it is. And if you like it, stick with it. If you don't, keep turning knobs. Is right. that what you're trying they, to say? Basically, yeah. The, Phrase that we'll come back to again and again, I'm sure, in this <laughs> episode is use your ears, right? Yes. And that's something that I know I've spoken up before, before, but it's like, oh, use your ears. It sounds so friggin' obvious when we say it, but it could also be really, really frustrating for people. But it really comes down to that. It's like, are you getting a pleasing result of what it is that you're trying to do? And if it is, great. If it's not, well, you, you need to tweak it a little bit, come up with a different solution. It's a uh, VCA style compressor. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, it can be really, really fast or not so fast. So it is relatively flexible, I think, for your most of your compression needs, I would say. If you have another LA-2A or 1176 at hand, obviously some people like to use those too, but it's a very, very capable compressor that's there. That it is. That it is. Moving on, we go into our gate and expander section, correct? Correct, Mundo. Yes. So, right. what's so special about this section? It's a gate or an expander. So, <laughs> <laughs> Man, no, I really? mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds silly to say, but you know, obviously, with gates, I would say especially, 
that I would use just personally, I, I would use a gate before an expander more often than not. But it's further ways of sculpting the sound, right? We mentioned 80s and 80s drum sounds and all this kind of stuff. So let's use a lot that of gates an, going on in that sound. Exactly, right? So if we think about a gate, if we're unfamiliar with what a gate does, it below a certain threshold just turns the volume down. Or right? off, depending on or how Or off you completely, it. depending on how aggressive it is, yeah. You can sculpt things. And the most popular thing when it comes to like 80s drum sound is gated toms, that kind of thing, where normally if we hit a tom, it rings out for a relatively long time, right? We can chop the end off there and get a very dramatic effect. Another use for that as well would be to, let's say, for example, in between vocal lines, mm-hmm. right? If there's noise in the room or whatever, have a gate that cuts that off. So it essentially just turns down the channel when it reaches below a certain threshold. So it can clean up audio there and it can make things sound tight and neat and kind of punchy. So Less noisy. Right. Do you ever use expanders and stuff in your productions? Because I really don't. Once in a while. It depends on how the signal-to-noise ratio is on the sound. Yeah. Because it's, it's not being as aggressive below the threshold. And when you reach above it, all it's doing is, is bringing stuff and expanding the dynamic range of it. And as long as you keep that above the noise floor, you're okay. If you use the expander and you don't set the noise floor appropriately, you're going to expand the noise floor as well. Yeah, I would say you, you said a mellow version of the of a gate, but I think it's it's almost the opposite, right? Where it turns stuff up. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the idea of the expander is right. to bring the volume level up, but it has to do it above a certain threshold. If you do it for the entire signal chain or the entire signal, you're just bringing the noise up and that's useless. Warmth, man. Analog warmth. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the overall theme here is like the the dynamic section on these consoles is – very, very flexible, and we can really, really do some sculpting here for what we need to do. And obviously, you don't have to use them either, right? They're not no, you can leave them right out. Active. Right. But they're part of that SSL mojo, man. They certainly can be, absolutely. Maybe we should mention here, Wells, that the, uh, the compressors, well, we mentioned that it could, it's flexible, but it also has a limiting option on it. Right? Yes. Where it's just the ratio goes from very mild, like one to one to to infinity, essentially, right? So you can mm-hmm. use it as a limiter as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you have a super heavy compression setting, and you mm-hmm. set the release extremely fast, it can be very similar to an eleven seventy six. Yeah. And if you set the ratio a bit lower and the release not so quick, you might get right. closer to an LA two A. It wouldn't sound the same, but you'd get closer to it. Yeah, a similar effect, right? Uh-huh. And one thing that I saw Tom Lord Algae do at one point, I was watching a mix that he was doing, and I thought it was Were kind of interesting. Were you in the room when this happened? Are you like name dropping right now? No, no, no. Steve Lukather told me never to name drop. Okay. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, bad joke. Uh, man, I'm a barrel of laughs today. No, but I was watching a video that he was doing in – one technique that he was doing on, because he's you know known to be pretty heavy-handed, he would use a lower compression ratio, like a two-to-one, mm-hmm. and then have a much lower threshold to kind of get his kind of effect that he was going there, which I thought was kind of interesting as opposed to having a higher ratio and it just kind of tickling 
with the threshold with the peaks there. So there's a little side note of that. Should we move on to the EQ section? Let's perhaps? move on to the EQ section right after this word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to move on to the most notorious section of the SSL 4000. What is it? The EQ section. Oh, yeah. Disregarding the filters for the moment, which we'll talk about later, we have four stages of this. We have the four high bands, shelf. Not four bands, yeah. You have the high shelf or the high bell. We have the high frequency, essentially. Mm -hmm. We have high mids, low mids, and the low frequencies. Yep. These come in a couple of different flavors, but before we get into the flavors, okay, I want to touch on this because I think this is really important and we'll kind of touch further on this <laughs> down the podcast here. I think we're about to blow some minds. Well, the one thing that, I mean, I like the, the SSL EQ. I find it for personally, I when I use it, I can get results pretty quickly and it just feels good to me. I, yes. I can work with it pretty well. But one thing that sort of blows my mind when I started looking into this a little <laughs> bit more is that frequency settings almost seems like, eh, it's a suggestion more than the-, the That's a good way to put it, that the frequency range is more of a suggestion than an actual, like, this is where it's at thing. Right. That sounds- possibly arrogant and a little bit obnoxious to say, but once you start looking at a um, spectrum analyzer to what you're doing to your signal, you start noticing, like, let's say we're in the high mids, right? And default generally is about 3K, right? Mm -hmm. If you start boosting there, you're not necessarily boosting 3K. It's a little bit off. Yes, this is true. So that, that's the first thing that sort of blew my mind. Um, the other one is Q range, mm -hmm. the width of the bell that you're adjusting, was not as narrow as I thought it would be on well, this narrow Well, when you say setting. it's not as narrow, it's a good idea to actually mention the fact that the Q range is actually sweepable Yes, on the SSL. However, the sweepability of it is rather large and it doesn't mm -hmm. get that narrow even though it's showing in the graphics that it's getting narrow i guess is a good right way so of putting it that's very much a visual representation what you're, you're sort of attempting to do a few episodes ago we talked about different types of eqing and we mentioned like digital eqs how you can get really really precise yes this is not that type of eq you can get you precise with it, but it's not as narrow of a Q setting as you might think. Mm -hmm. The theme here that we're going to stress again and again is that you have to use your ears when you're using this, which you should always do. But again, it's a good reminder to not mix by numbers, as it were. I would agree so, with that sentiment. If we take this a step further and we look at the low mid section. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, if you've got your knobs at 12 right. o'clock, mm -hmm. the 1K mark that is shown on the dial is substantially pretty far off. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. It is not 1K. It is actually about 600. <laughs> 600? Yeah. It's pretty far off. 
I didn't see that on my end, I, but, but I know it's off. It's kind of astonishing that it's not super accurate. Now, us saying that- this we're is, not, Yeah, we're not trying to slag on SSL by any stretch of the imagination. It's just when you go in a really deep dive and trying to figure out what it is that it's doing, it's not doing exactly what you think it is based on the numbers that you see. Right. And also, what, what's also important to bring up here, now, you are- a UA user as well as Plugin Alliance. Yes. I use the Plugin Alliance version. I use uh, Slate versions of these plugins as well. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's important to bring up here as well, like these discrepancies are very, very similar across the board of manufacturer. So this is the way the SSL consoles actually sound. Right. Now, as you and I have noticed that there are slight discrepancies in the UA version to the plugin alliance version, that discrepancy is more likely down to the console that they are emulating. Right. The actual physical console. If you look at these discrepancies, they're going to be very similar across all manufacturers. And that's just because that's the way the SSL EQs were and yes. are. I'm not slagging it by one stretch or the other. It's a very nice sounding EQ. It's just interesting that if you think with the low mid, just as the example, if you think you're tweaking 1K when it says 1K, you're not tweaking 1K. (laughs) You are, but you're also tweaking a lot of other other stuff. Your actual actual pinpoint is somewhere like around 600, 650-ish, somewhere in that range. It's It's not 1K. It's very, very interesting to kind of spot that. Yeah. So- you know, the same also goes for the shelves, right? Now, the low and the high shelf, they could also be turned into to bell curves, bell curves right? But, well, but, yeah, but, so. but if we deal with just the shelf, is that what I thought was interesting was that how gradual the slope is on those. Mm-hmm. So it's affecting a lot of the lower end. Let's say that you're dealing with a high shelf and you're, you're dialing up, you're boosting at 8K, let's mm-hmm. say. You are boosting a lot lower than 8K as well. It's a very, very gradual curve. What does that really mean? I mean, does Use that your mean, damn ears. That's what it means. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that maybe it gives a sort of musical sound to it because it might not sound as drastic as it were if they were really, really pointed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? That's part of the sound, I believe. I just thought it was interesting when you go through these and kind of look at them and listen to them. It's like, wow, it's actually affecting a lot more than I certainly thought. Sure. But then again, it's alarming nerd level to actually get <laughs> to like go a, in and find this kind of stuff. Out. Right. Exactly. And just like spectrum analyzer and it's like, but that's the sound of the console. So right. to me, they sound really, really musical. And we talked about this before we started recording today, that... If you have an EQ, I always thought it would be an interesting thought experiment to have an EQ when you don't have a frequency range on each knob. Right. Then you'd actually have to use your ears. It would be really interesting to get a plug-in manufacturer to pull the graphics of the kilohertz and hertz off of the knobs so that you have to listen to what the fuck you're doing. I mean, right. Yeah. That you, changes everything. Then it doesn't right, matter if, what the, the knob says. It's a matter of like, am I getting the right frequency based on my damn ear? Yeah. If you're boosting 3K or three and a half or four, 
who really cares? Right? It's the sound that really matters. That's just, you have your band set up as, you know, your high frequencies, maybe you have a high and a low mid and a low frequency. In the case like of the SSL here and so many other EQs, just to force yourself to use your ear and get the sound that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Who cares what that really is? It's just what, what you hear of that sound. So that sounds kind of like hippie-ish and, and kind of like, but, but I think it's an interesting thought experiment. It is. You know, to do that. In addition to everything else we've just mentioned with the EQ section, there is other important information here that the EQ can be placed pre-dynamic section. And it can also be used as the side chain to cue or control the dynamic section. And when you do that, it does take the EQ out of the signal chain. Right. Besides being a really flexible EQ section, it's also a very, very flexible console in its routing, right? So you could do a whole lot that would normally, you know, require large patch bays and stuff, right? But you can do this internal with the routing. And of course, now we can do that in plug-in form anyway, but right. it is a, a very, very flexible. Moving uh, on to filters, baby. What's up with the filters? Well, should we touch on the different types of low frequencies that, that are available? Like, should we touch on like the brown knob and, and the black knob, or should we just mention that, you know? We haven't really mentioned that so far in the podcast in terms of there were two kind of eras to the 4000E, right? Right. There's the brown knob, which is the first version, and then there's the subsequent modification from SSL that comes out later called the black knob. The difference on this is that with the brown knob version and the black knob version is you're getting slightly different slopes to your filters and your EQs. Right. You know, people like or tend to have their preference, right? Oh, I like the brown or I like the black knob. It's really up to you. It's not like one is better or the other. What's really happening is that the curve there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's how's your workflow? How do you get the best results out of something? We talk about gear a lot on this podcast and stuff, but it's very easy to get caught up in thinking that we have to have all these options, right? Which, of course, you do. Uh, but why no. not? I mean, if I can't but, mix it on an SSL, I might as well mix it on an API. If I can't mix it there, I might as well mix it on a Neve because that's going to make it sound better, right? Exactly. And it would improve your crappy song the way it is because it was mixed on, a, <laughs> right. on an SSL. Uh, so, I mean, it, it sounds possibly a little bit arrogant in talking about this, but it's it's really, you can get the job done with what you have. Knowing where the slight discrepancies are, it can also help you if you're struggling with something, right, in your filters or whatever. There are different versions there of the 4000E, so that's what's changing there. Right. So with that said, let's move into the filters, shall we? Well, we just did. We just did the filters. Now we're going to talk. Well, but... Let, let's drill down a little bit more on them in the way that, you know, it's not just high and low cut, right? That well, we it's have. a high pass and a low pass filter. The only other thing I didn't really mention with the filters is that it also has the ability to be placed into the dynamic section swap where it can be ahead of the dynamic section or not. And it can also be used to filter the side chain of the dynamics as well. But when you do that, it takes it out of takes the EQ out of the audio path and just makes it part of the dynamic chain. That's a handy thing. I mean, when we talked about side chaining again, a few episodes ago where if you have 
a drum kit where the kick is just hitting too much because it has all the low frequency on it. You can roll that out there right on the channel strip, as it were. Sure. So it, it won't trigger the compressor as hard. And then the last nerdy thing comes with the pan knob. Go for it. Nerd is out. <laughs> the pan law on the SSL 4000 is minus four and a half dB. Just in case anybody really wants to know. Yeah. As nerdy as I am, I, I never be either considered that. So it's there you go. Whatever. There are a few various plug-in options. The most popular that we'll name off here, the Waves has an SSL option. Universal Audio has an SSL option. Who else? Plug-in Alliance that we mentioned. Slate has one as well. That's Mm -hmm. part of the, the rack. The Slate versions are not necessarily the channel strip as it is just laid out, but but you have all you have the dynamics and the EQ components. So right, and the thing that we'd like to stress about this is obviously most people aren't going to run right out and uh, drop a hundred grand or more on a brand new SSL board, as they are kind of pricey in hardware form. But most people might want to pick up one in a plug-in form. And as we kind of touched a little bit in the podcast, which plug-in you get isn't going to be substantially different from another plug-in version that you could get, but they're each emulating whatever SSL board they had with them on hand. Right. The plug-in Alliance version is slightly different from the UA version, which is slightly different from the Slate version, which is slightly different from the Waves version in terms of how they all do things. Yeah. One thing that you will come across a lot is people asking, well, which one's the most accurate? Doesn't matter. It really doesn't. You know, I think Waves was first out with their, their, so that's the original version is a little bit older now. So maybe the technology wasn't quite there yet to do all these other emulations and things. Even if there are small discrepancies in there, you can easily just compensate for that by minor tweaks on the EQ, for example. Well, the reality is you wouldn't know the discrepancies if you were just using your ear and you're only using one version of the plug-in from whatever manufacturer. You'd have no idea. And even still, unless you're like somebody like Michael Brower or Chris Lord Algae that makes his living sitting in front of an SSL console, you're probably not going to know the difference anyway. Consider it just a workflow thing. I think it's a very, very handy. I think it's a great sounding plugin, whichever one you have. You just used the 4000 on a mix for us, right? Yep. That sure did. Sounded fucking yep. great. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you didn't come back to me and go, mm, you know what? Maybe you can try this with a slate version instead. You know, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a tool and it's just whatever. Do you like the workflow of having everything in one plugin window? It's something that always intrigued me. I, I like the idea of it. And, I've recently started putting it into practice where it's just working for me and I kind of like it. Also, again, not necessary to think that you need to have every console emulation out there. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. I know. I know, Jody. (laughs) I mean, if you can hear the differences, knock yourself out. But to me, it just comes down to your workflow. And if you can make it happen with one, why would you change? You know, exactly. the 4000E is still in studios today, so it's still a fantastic sounding console. Yes, it is. And with that, we're going to move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got for us this week? I have a find that 
I almost scratched my head at for a little bit, but I think it deserves bringing up. It's Avid have come out with another M-Box. Mm. The M-Box interface. And that's exactly the kind of reaction I had. Are they mm. re-releasing Hanson? Is that who did that? Hanson? Didn't they have a song, M-Box? Oh, no, it was M-Bop. Oh, sorry. M-Bop, yeah. <laughs> M-Box. Right. Very, very well played. Very. So I, I thought that was at least interesting. I'm not sure how or why we want that. I suppose it's just coming out with another what used to be considered as an entry-level interface. Mm-hmm. With the functionality that's on this thing, it's like it's got ADAT, it's got SPDIF and all these other functionalities with it. I think it's pretty far from an entry-level thing. Okay. It's The price point also says otherwise, but I think it's, it's close to like 900, something like that. I guess my Friday find is the Avid M-Box, maybe? <laughs> so, yeah, it stumped me a little bit, but there you go. I guess that's my Friday find. What What do you have for us? I'm going to go in the software direction here, and I'm looking at something that's relatively new that has come out by a company called Cable Guys. They've released a plugin called Shaper Box 3. So obviously it's the third version of whatever it is that they've come out with. At least that's my impression. It is the latest version of an LFO and mixing type plugin. And this particular thing has nine different multiband effects. Volume, time, drive, filter, crush, noise, pan width, and the new liquid processor, whatever that is. <laughs> but essentially what it is, is it's giving you a ridiculous amount of control of being able to draw wave shapes and easier ways to do LFO type editing. So if you're into that really crazy LFO and wave shape kind of shit, this is the thing to get on. Cable guys. Shaper Box 3. Nice. Yes. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of this lovely podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the name SSL4000E, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox if you have a topic or a suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody.